Hello and welcome to Funny Business, a podcast for free thinkers. On today's episode, we sit down with the amazing Laura Henshaw, co-founder of Keep It Cleaner. She's a woman of many talents and we were lucky enough to sit down and chat with her. There are some incredible tips and practical advice in this episode. We love it. Hope you enjoy. I suppose we'll start it off with a, with a pretty simple one. We, your journey into to Keep It Cleaner, how did that all start? Yeah, so it's it's crazy to look back now at where it started because when it started, it was honestly just a tiny hobby on the side um, and I never, ever, ever, and same with Steph, we never thought it would kind of grow into the business that it is today. And so we started it back um, maybe about, I think it was six years ago now, we, we launched an ebook um, and it was called Keep It Clean. So we've kind of evolved there. We've added the ER onto the name of the brand. Um, but I, at the time I had a blog and Steph had uh, where I posted healthy recipes. I just wanted a place to be able to share my passion for, I suppose, cooking and healthy things. I'd always wanted to do dietetics in uni, but for some reason I got my ATAR back and I randomly decided to change my course and I switched over to law um, last minute, which I kind of, I mean, it's been great. Yeah, very big difference. It has been great, uh, all the things that I've learned, but I did always have that passion for the health industry, I suppose, and cooking. And so that's why I started my blog. And Steph at the time had maybe, maybe like, she'd had a lot of followers at the time, maybe it was half a million or something. And people were always asking her what she ate and um, what her favorite recipes were. And she actually came to me and she said that she had a dream that we made a cookbook together, like an actual dream. And I was like, oh my goodness, don't be silly. Like I had struggled so much to even launch my blog and for people to access my recipes for free, let alone buy them in a book. Anyway, but Steph has got amazing confidence and she's helped me so much with my confidence. And so she kind of said, no, Laura, we can do this. We're going to make this ebook. And of course we had no idea how to make it. We literally Googled like how to make an ebook. Uh, we used her, um, one of her beautiful friends who's a graphic designer who did the book for us, like all the nice, just, it was all done in Steph's handwriting. Uh, there, it wasn't without errors. There was lots of spelling errors <laughs> in there. Um, so it definitely wasn't perfect, but we launched it and it had an amazing response because back at that time, social media was very different. It's got a lot better since then. It was very, there was pages that were literally called like uh, skinny, not strong or like skinny is it was very very focused on for women especially being as skinny as possible and so a lot of the recipes were based around they were either really complicated or very 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 focused on calorie counting and calorie restriction really so we wanted to make a ebook that had uh, I suppose shared healthy recipes that were super easy you didn't have to be a chef but they also didn't focus on restriction and calorie counting and so that's kind of where it started and then from there obviously when you release an ebook you release it and then that's all, you can't really do anything else with it unless you do another one. But we, we kind of felt there was a little bit of a community growing. And so then we started a blog, like a subscription blog where we had recipes and workouts on there. And then we wanted to be able to connect with them further. So then we launched the, the first program and then now we have the app. That's unreal. That's a pretty cool story. Do you remember what the recipes were on the first ebook? Yeah, yeah, we've still got it. There was 37 of them. A lot of them are actually in our app now, um, which is really, really special. But they're one of the, the chocolate chip cookies, which is on, is our, we actually just got all the stats back the other day. It was our second most popular recipe in the full keeper cleaner of all time. So we like yeah, cookies, the cookies yeah. are, yeah, oh, <laughs> the chocolate cookie chip monster. cookies are really good. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, what's the, cho- what's the chocolate to dough ratio? Well, it's really up to you. That's what, that's what we always say. I think in the recipe, it's about 100 grams. But, you know, sometimes you just need a bit extra. So. <laughs> oh, we're pumped to have you on because I reckon we need some health advice. Like, yeah, well, not... I didn't want to disguise it, but I'm having a no sugar. At, it's before like 10 o'clock. <laughs> that's probably not great, is it? So my we're habits need to change. Balance. <laughs> it's all about balance. I've had yeah. three today. Three already. <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the biggest things we want to talk about um, with Keep It Cleaner is the notion of the community um, and how you build and nurture and grow that community. Is there something that you can delve into and what, what it means for you and, and Steph? Yeah, so the community is the core of our business. It's the most important part and it's also our, our favourite part. Being a purpose-driven business, I suppose, the community is just, it's so important to us. And as I said, we kind of, once we saw that it was starting to grow, we really wanted to nurture it and, and, and I suppose continue to grow it. Because for us, it's a place where we can connect with um, our community every single day. So it's on Facebook. Um, and Steph and I are in there most days. Actually, we are in there every single day, checking in on all the posts and, and checking in on the community. It's really special to be able to interact with them every day. And for us, it's been incredible because they are so motivating. Like, it, it's so it's really nice. A lot of them will say, you know, they, they didn't want to work out and then they'll check in with the community and then they'll get the motivation or it might not be just with working out. It's like in their career and with their confidence and things like that, wearing a bikini on the beach, all of those things. And so even for Steph and I, we'll log in there into the community and I might have no motivation or I might be having a down day and I'll read a post and think, oh my God, I feel so much better about myself now, you know? Um, and so it's, it's really incredible. And I think the most important part for us about growing that community has been staying true to who we are. It is having, having integrity is so important and being honest and having that trust because our community, we are so lucky. They trust us so much and we do not take that lightly. It is such a big responsibility and something we're so grateful for, but we also know that you can, you know, it takes five years to build the trust that we have with them, but it will take one second to lose it. So we're very, very, very conscious of that. We don't take it for granted. And we just make sure we give back to them as much as possible. At the moment, we're running um, a 14 days of wellness campaign just through the community. We wanted to do something uh, with, with the community to be able to, I suppose, give back during this time. In Vic, we've obviously just gone back into ISO um, and everyone's kind of, I feel like in winter, it's hard to stay motivated. And then with everything that's been happening in the world, it's been even harder so we yeah, wanted 100%. to give back to them and yeah and we've got something in there every single day that hopefully they will benefit from and so that's kind of what it's been about for us is trying to give back as much as we can to them because we truly appreciate them so so much that's that's pretty sick i think it's so cool because you, you when you were talking about it, you've got so many different things on the go but trying to i guess from a business perspective um how do you drive that traffic from your different pages that you have and get people like obviously aware of the community group or aware of the Facebook group. And then is there some sort of process when they join, they get to experience like, Hey, they become automatically straight part of the community. Like how, how does that all process happen? Yeah. So first of all, the most important thing within that community is offering value to them. As I was kind of touching on before, you can't expect people to come to a page or a community unless you're offering value in there for them. And I mean, that goes for Instagram pages or any type of social media, really. But what we do when you sign up to keep it cleaner, um, there's a link once you've signed up and subscribed to go to the community and, and join a community of like-minded people all around the world. So a lot of people will click straight through to that. And another way that we drive people there is Steph and I 
uh, we'll talk about it a lot on our social media because it really is our, and I suppose that's where authenticity comes into it because it is hand on my heart, the most special part of our business and the most special part of what we do. So we love being in there. So we love telling people about it. And for us, word of mouth has been really important as well. There's because in the time we've had the Facebook community, which we've had two and this one we've had for about a year and a half. And in that time, I think we've only had two or three posts that uh, have not kind of been in line with the community guidelines, which is kindness and um, respect and all of those things. And so we've been over a year and a half. That's amazing because we've got over 37,000 people in there now. And I think it is through word of mouth that people come there because there are some communities on Facebook that there's a lot of them now. It's very, very popular, but not all of them have that kind of nurturing um, I suppose, feeling where it is truly a safe place. You might feel uncomfortable talking about motivation and, and maybe feeling down with your friends, but I sometimes speaking about it with a group of strangers is empowering and you're able to do it. And I feel, I feel that a lot of the people in our community have found that, um, have found that, I suppose, um, confidence in the community to speak about those things. And so word of mouth has been really big as well and they've also made beautiful friendships it's really amazing there's uh all around australia people catching up doing kit catch-ups obviously not in covid <laughs> um but there's some really beautiful friendships that have formed and when steph and i see those posts and when the wider team of kick sees those posts we just feel so happy because you know they've, they've met in the community and the community has helped them and steph and i always say now at the start keep it cleaner was very much i suppose about what we did but now it's not about us at all we are just a part of it and we feel so lucky to i suppose be a part of it it's a, it's a living community it's growing it's evolving you don't and it's nice that it seems the way that <clears throat> no wonder you feel so purposeful and connected to what it is because you can step away now and people are interacting and it, it, that that connections are forming by itself mm, yeah absolutely what about um being a role model you know in that healthy sort of lifestyle i know you know especially young girls and, and the social media and stuff like that. Is, is there a lot of pressure being a role model? I think pressure. Yeah, I'm, I'm, of course there is. There's pressure with, I suppose, having a social media following, but the positives from it uh, just outweigh the, any pressure. Uh, and so I feel like because when I was, and one of the reasons we did start Keep It Cleaner, Steph and I, as I said, there was a big focus on, I suppose, the more negative side of um, diet Instagram pages when we started it. And we both went through an experience with really bad body image. And that was for me fueled by the accounts I was following on social media. And so because I've been there, I could not like, it would just absolutely break my heart to know that someone looked at my page and also went into that place. So I just feel this huge responsibility to make sure that everything I'm putting out there is positive for, especially for young women. A lot of the people who follow me are young women and it is a positive thing for them. And I just never, ever, ever want any young woman to, to feel the way I suppose that I felt five years ago, uh, even though it's so common, it's so common um, for women to, to look in the mirror and, and not actually see how beautiful they are, but also to, to realize that what we look like is actually not the most important thing at all. It shouldn't matter at all. And for a long time, especially, I think it's obviously, I also, did modeling and I think when you are in that industry your I suppose your value is literally what you look like and so for a long time my value was completely connected with what I looked like and that's just setting yourself up for failure because you can't control it 
And so that's something that's really important that I, I hope that I try and convey over my social media. And so while there, it is, a, a, I suppose, a responsibility, it's something that I am so grateful to have. Um, and so I, yeah, don't take it lightly. And there's, sometimes there's pressure, but the positive parts, you know, one message from uh, someone from our community that, that might have been able to get out of bed that day because they wanted to do their kick workout and it made them feel really good about themselves because the day before they'd had a really bad day. That is just the best feeling to receive something like that in the whole world. So the pressure, I don't even think about it. Small wins. The small, the yeah. little, when, when, when people are reaching out and connecting and, and sharing their, their experiences or, or the value that you bring, it, it definitely touches you in a different place, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I think it's cool when you're you're talking about, I'd love to get your thoughts on um, the state of say like Instagram, right? Because what we we hear you talking about this and it's a different perspective. I think we're having a chat to um, Erica from it's, it's all fluff and Frank body last night. And she was talking around, I guess the the influencer game and and just how, how it all works. And I think your perspective on it is really, really different and and being a role model and trying to promote that positive positive, positive body image and there's more more to life than just what you look like like you're talking about mm. but how do you find that plays out on a platform like instagram which is just there's so much content that you can be flooded by just everything you people get stuck on it you can flick through or you can go down a rabbit hole and you can be on instagram for years <laughs> you know oh, oh my goodness absolutely yeah it, it's true you can and i think something that we forget with our instagram and social media is that we are actually in control of what we see on there I think sometimes we think we go on there and we're like, oh, this is so negative, but hang on, we've actually created this place for ourselves because we choose who we follow. And so something that I find is really empowering is doing a unfollowing streak. (laughs) I love doing that. Um, I I don't really need to do it anymore because I find that my Instagram is quite... um, a positive place for me for the people that I follow but it's really important to remember that that you're in control and if you find that you know you might have you might want to be a lawyer or a teacher or whatever you want to be follow people that inspire you to to do that or you might want to help people whatever it might be follow people that inspire you to do that it might mean that you need to unfollow all of these accounts of just people that don't make you feel good or post about um heavily about how you need to lose weight or things like that because that that isn't important and so it's really really important to remember that we are in control of who we follow and I think as well Instagram has changed quite a bit um, over the past few years it used to be that only I suppose very very nice looking pages with a beautiful aesthetic were the most popular ones but now I'm finding that the real content is what people like when I post a photo where I'm vulnerable I will get so much more engagement than if I post a nice looking photo. But I think the most important thing with that is I post those vulnerable things. And and I mean, I have for a very long time because I know it will help people. I think when that becomes difficult is when people are posting those type of images for engagement, which kind of defeats the purpose because you're you're trying to be authentic in in doing that. But it is really cool how much the people on on social media are being responsive. Like everyone is quite responsive to that type of content now, which is just fantastic. It doesn't need to be perfect anymore. And and I think it's really cool that it's going that way. We spoke to um, one of the our early episodes. We were lucky enough to speak to Jackie Frank, and she was one of the biggest things she talked about in terms of being in that media world was the importance of being authentic and authenticity. And I think at the moment um, there's a you can get a whiff of when people aren't being authentic, and yeah. you can you the can bullshit just detector, yeah. bullshit detector. You can smell <laughs> yeah. it from a mile away. And I think it's so important to when you're putting stuff out there, like you're talking about being a role model, is you you have um, almost like a responsibility with all these people 
looking up to you and, and doing it and interested in what you have to say and what you're doing, it, it's almost, I don't know, it's almost rude if they do it another way. If you're not authentic and you, you're not putting that stuff out there, but at the same time, it also, it takes um, learning and practice to be vulnerable. Yes, absolutely. And I think the first time that I posted something where I was very vulnerable, I was scared because I think when you put a lot of, um, I suppose, emphasis on what you look like and you care about it. And a while ago, I did care a lot more. When you put a photo out when you might not look your best, you think, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? But the most empowering feeling in the whole world is honestly, nothing happens except young women feel like they're seen. Like, hey, I, you know, my skin breaks out too, or hey, I get bloated too, or whatever it might be. So I think there's this fear thing of, oh my goodness, imagine if someone sees me not at my best, but the only person who's going to really, you know, the only thing, you're building that up in your head. No one really cares because I think everyone is just trying to focus on, I suppose, trying to get themselves together. Um, and, and we put pressure on ourselves and we're just, it's like, for example, if you go to a, a party and you dance and everyone's worried about what they look, everyone thinks that everyone's looking at them. Or when you walk into the gym, everyone thinks everyone's looking at you, but really you're, everyone's just concerned about what they're doing. Um, they, and they're so not just... looking at us, Locke. I thought they were always looking at us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just walk around shaking hands, making sure people look at me. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. It's, it's true. Like, no, no one actually cares. I think that's what you realise but as you get a bit older too. Like, one thing I've learnt from, you know, hanging out with a lot of older people is, yeah, they, when, they, when they reach a certain point, they're like, no one actually gives a shit. No one cares what you're doing. No one's watching you in the, in the dark. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's an important realisation, I think. Because then you just free totally. yourself and be like, all right, I can do whatever I want. Everything's cool. Um, don't have to hide. Don't have to pretend everything's perfect. It's a, it's a good point. Um, what, I, what I also want to touch on is the, the pressures of running a business. I mean, you, you, you do a lot of things. You've got a podcast, you know, you've got the ebook, you've you got YouTube. You, you pretty much do everything. What, what's, some of the biggest, <laughs> what's some of the biggest pressures of running a business that you've found? Well, uh, first of all, YouTube. We, we don't do much YouTube anymore. It's too much. It's YouTube is very hard to do. Yeah, it looks it. Yes, yes, it is. I mean, it's a great way to connect with people, but it's something that Steph and I aren't doing as much. We found the podcast is just such a, a we really prefer to, I suppose, share people's stories by doing that. Um, so that's been awesome. Love the podcast. Running, I suppose one of the biggest pressures of running a business is just maybe it comes back to, I know you've spoken about it. I love the episode that you did together. <laughs> You're like, you, did, you watched that one, did you? We didn't think yeah, anyone would. Yeah, I listened. Yeah. <laughs> that would be awkward. But you spoke about imposter syndrome. And I think that's probably the biggest pressure for me of running a business is because what keep it cleaner? Like, as I spoke about before, we never started it with the intention for it to turn into what it has. And, you know, it hasn't been a blink of the eye. A blink of the eye. It's been a lot of hard work. But all of a sudden, Steph and I are running this business and we've got staff and there's so many people that rely on us. And that's amazing. We're, we're so grateful for that. But at the same time, you kind of have those days where you're like, oh my goodness, like I'm not, in, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a good leader. Like why, why am I in this position? Like why have I been given this amazing opportunity? Um, and so I think that's been the biggest, um, dif the, the biggest thing I struggle with, I suppose, is just that whole the whole concept of imposter syndrome and being confident in in the fact that I've got to this position and that I'm worthy of getting here and all those things all of those things but I think I've, I've listened to a lot of TED talks of very very powerful people that I see is so successful and they go through imposter syndrome as well so it's very very common um, and it's okay but I think that's that's the biggest thing 
um, that I've had to come to terms with in running a business. But I, I always reconnect with things. Um, I suppose Keep It Cleaner is a purpose-driven business, which is amazing. And we've got a team now that have also bought into the dream that Steph and I have, and, and that is so special to us. And so I, I hope that we can continue to lead our team We've also just brought in um, an amazing uh, CMO, Michelle Battersby, who's just been incredible. She's got so much experience um, in, in the tech industry, but also she, she came from a, a background of working in HR. So she's been fantastic for us. And so it's just about bringing in people that I suppose have the skill sets that you don't have and not being scared to bring them in because, and there's a saying that if you surround your, and this is something that Michelle said to me, that the, the smartest people are the ones that um, hire people smarter than them. So if you are in, if you're the smartest person in the room in your business, you're in the wrong room. And that's like kind of what I always come back to. Yeah. So we've got some amazing, well, all of our team members are absolutely incredible and they are so much better at everything they do than, than I am. And I'm totally okay with that. And we're just so lucky that we have them and they are so invested in, in growing kick to, to where we think that we can get it to. How important is it bringing the right people in? So you obviously you're talking about being a purpose-driven business and like you, you and Steph care so deeply about what you're trying to do and your community. Um, obviously if that grows and you need to bring more and more people on board, how do you make sure you hire the right people that are going to fit, uh, fit your values and, and buy into the dream? Oh, it, it's, it's so important hiring the right people and you, we won't always get it right. We haven't always got it right. Um, I suppose you learn you learn quickly and something that I actually learned from Janine Alice, she, she said that you need to hire slowly and fire quickly. And so if you have a gut feeling that someone isn't right for your business, they're not right for your business. And that for me is very hard to deal with because I am, I am a people pleaser. I love to make everyone feel good. I, you know, firing someone is literally the, the scariest thing of my whole life. Um, but it, that saying kind of has stuck with me and it's really important because you have to make sure that when you're bringing someone in, if you've got the wrong person in your work, workplace, it's also not helping their career because you're not going to be able to nurture them and grow, grow their career kind of to where it could go um, if they were in the right workplace for them. So that's really, really important uh, to remember as well. But I think we just, with us, we just need to make sure that, and we have our team at the moment that we have is just incredible. Everyone is so, as I said, invested in that dream. And um, we'll, in a small business as well, it's really important that people don't really just have one job. A, a lot of people in our, in our team wear a lot of hats and it's amazing that they're able to do that. We also work very quickly. And so not everyone is, I suppose, if you come from a huge corporate company, you might not be used to the way a small business operates. So we have to take that into consideration as well. And so, yeah, they're, they're the main things that we think about when we're hiring people. Do you guys do reviews and stuff like that? Like, do you, like, I know you probably do like content planning days and stuff like that, but do you, do you loop back and go, these are the things that are working, these are the things that aren't? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that is something that Michelle has been able to implement uh, a lot with a lot more structure than we had before she started. So that's been fantastic. And it's really, really important to do that, especially with, with the team, having um, setting their goals with them and their KPIs is really, really important because it gives them something to work towards. And I think 
when you set your KPIs and you can achieve them, it's such a fulfilling feeling because you know that you've done that and then you can build on them. So it's been really amazing having Michelle in the business to be able to, I suppose, work with Steph and I and the team on setting those things because um, it really helps with, with how you feel. Because you have to remember that you want your team to, you know, the business might be going really well, but your team members all have to feel like, they are, um, I suppose, a part of it as well, and they are feeling fulfilled. So that's really, really important to us. What, what are your biggest learnings going from, um, like you said, it was the start, it was just the, was it, is it right, just the two of you? Is that when you yeah, stepped off? Right. And now you've moved into a people leadership role and you, you, you're the boss and you have to tell people what's going on. How, how have you found the juggle between going from your little baby to now having people in your team and, and navigating that, like your personal development, helping them, setting their KPIs? How have you found that, um, that jump? Well, to be honest, I'm, I never like to call myself a boss. I'm not a boss. I really, I just don't like the word. I can't, I can't use it. I feel like it, it kind of creates this um, leveling, which I don't feel, I feel like I'm on the same level with every single person in our team. Um, and I, that's how I lead, I suppose. And um, so there's not, I, I, yeah, I definitely don't feel like I'm a boss. I feel like we're all on the same level and that's really important. Obviously there's so much respect, um, in the team for Steph and I and, and for everyone, which is very, very important. But I think the biggest learning I've had in general with kick and running kick with Steph, um, and, and now the team is that you can't make every decision with your heart. Um, I'm such a, and especially with what we do with kick, I mean, our day to day, most of the business decisions we make within the business every day are for our community. So that is fine to be a heart driven decision because we do things that we, we think will help them. But then when you're making decisions with contracts and, and things like that, all the other side of the business, it's really important to not um, make them with your heart because you need to make them with your brain. Um, and so, you know, you, but everyone learns, I think you, you all, I, I don't think anyone that lives in it, that operates a business would not have gone in a situation um, and regretted something that they, you know, something that they did when they were younger. Um, and so, or a decision that they made when they were younger, I suppose. But that's something we've definitely learned is learnt is that you can't, um, yeah, not to make every single decision with your heart as hard as it is, because that's kind of how I operate in my life. But it's it's really important to know that you can't always do that. Who said that, love? Who who was the main man? Chris Wilson. Yeah, he's the man. People. Yeah, head and heart people, especially early days, bring, bringing them in. Like you, when you want someone to believe in the vision and. And that you definitely need the heart people involved early. Mm. And then when the processes and stuff start coming into place, you need the head people. You need the people yes. who specialise in that to, to do the job. So, yeah, exactly. no, it's interesting. It's in, all these common themes that keep popping up, isn't it? It is common themes. Yeah, it's good. I like it. So I want to touch on you've done, like Locke said before, you've done a lot of things, but you've also got a, a strong background. You've got a, a law degree, you're obviously passionate about education and learning. Um, is that something that's always like it's always a pathway that you knew you wanted to grow up and go down that continuous learning development pathway so i'm not finished my law degree i've got two more subjects i just found out i passed my last two so thank goodness i've got Congrats. two Congratulations. <laughs> i think i think i've done like 45 subjects now so i've only got oh two to go i'm so excited 45? 
yeah, I I mucked up a few things. No, as in, I did the wrong subjects that didn't count for credit points. Oh, <laughs> oh grass. Yeah. Just oh, uni for fun. Uni for fun. Yeah. Hey, you want the cash here? Have the cash. Yeah, yeah, yeah perfect. Put that, just put that on the hex, thanks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. what's a hex? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I know, I know. Yeah, I think all my subjects are about, law subjects are about $1,500 because they're not, only science is subsidised, which is fine. The, the world doesn't need more lawyers, so I totally understand that. Um, but I have really started to learn to enjoy it. I, I, at the start, when I mean, it's like anyone, you're 18, you finish. I studied really hard in year 12 and I didn't give myself a lot of time to do other things. So I think when I finished, I should have taken a gap year because then I went straight into uni and I hated it. I hated it so much. And, and as I said, I was originally enrolled in dietetics and then I went into law last minute but I'd never, um, there was, I think there was legal studies, which is a subject you can do in year 12. Yeah, I think so. um, yeah. And so a lot of the people that were in law with me had done legal studies because that would make a lot of sense. If you were interested in being a lawyer, <laughs> you would probably do legal studies, but I didn't. Um, so my first class, they were either all people that had, you know, knew about the law or they were mature age students. There's a lot of mature age students in um, law, a law degree. So my first class was probably, most people were about 40. And then there was a few young people, but most people were well, actually 40 is still young. But when I say That's young, I mean like 18 year olds. Yeah. I think I also chose a time where that suited mature age students. So that so might've been why well, night but, classes. Or something yes. <laughs> but I just struggled so much. I didn't have the confidences. I also didn't know anything. I didn't know what a barrister was. I didn't know what a judge was. I didn't know the different type of type of courts. I had no idea. And so that was hard. That was the wake up call. And so I ended up deferring my next semester of uni and I actually got a job in administration because I was trying to buy a car and you know how hard it is to save to buy a car while you're at uni and you're only working like 15 hours a week. So I was working full time, um, almost full time at this uh, hospital in administration. And then at night I was doing my waitressing and I loved the waitressing. It was so fun, but the administration work was not for me. And it really made me realize that I want to go to uni and study so I can do something that I want to do. And I went back and just with that change of mindset, it made a huge difference. And then with kick now that obviously the legal side of the business is quite a big side of any business. There's a lot of legal things that you need to deal with. And so my degree has now become so practical for me and I can actually, I'm in my lectures and they're talking about things. I'm like, Oh, that's, we've gone through that. I just, I, I know what that is that's why we had to do that. And so when you can actually relate what you're learning back to real life experiences, it just is so much easier to absorb it and understand it. But now I've become the, the annoying student who asks all the questions because you, you know how my friend's like, I want to get out of here, but yeah. I'm like, well, can you go further? Into this? <laughs> You're like, shh. It's 2.59 and she's asked a 10 minute question. Yeah. 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 That's me. yeah. But yeah, I really am enjoying it now. And I think, so I finished, I will hopefully touch wood finish my degree if I pass my subjects at the end of this year. Um, and then I'll definitely take a break from study. It is a lot managing it. And I think sometimes it's hard um, with uni, you can't, I, I struggle to multitask. You kind of really, if you're writing an essay, you have to be focused on the essay. You can't be doing other things. And so sometimes I struggle when, it's been fine during COVID because I've been working from home. So I've had some time to do it. But during a normal the normal when we're out of isolation, when um, we have a lot on with kick and we're traveling a lot, it's really hard to keep up with it. So I will take a break, but I do, I, yeah, I really do love learning, but it's nice now that once you've, I finish my degree, I'll be able to do something if I ever study again that I, I really want to, I suppose, and not do it because 
my parents told yeah. me I should. I, I can imagine it'd be pretty difficult to juggle. So especially with a, a law degree, because that's one of those ones where you've got just excessive amounts of reading and just the things take time. Uh, one of my best, best mates is a lawyer and like, he's a full, like at his yeah. desk when he was doing these, he had all these folders of all these things. And he'd be like, I have to do this reading. I've got to read like a thousand pages tonight. I'm like, what, what do you, what do you mean? Thousand pages. <laughs> like you have to go through a case study and do all these things. I'm like, uh, I don't know. I reckon I've read a thousand pages this year. <laughs> dense, isn't it? Everything's just dense, dense, lots yeah, of content, just lot. so heavy. Yeah, it is. And the way they kind of give it to you, it's like in the week you're reading that you have to do, it's like, oh, it's 300 pages. It's not even like, oh, sorry, this week is 300 pages. It's like they don't blink at it. But I have to say, I am not a big reader. Uh, there's probably half of my law, um, well, actually, I my friends all graduated five years ago, but half of the people I do law with read and then the other half get through it without doing all the reading and I'm kind of, I'm kind of in that. I read enough, but I don't really read um especially with cases cases can be 70 to 100 pages long so in my first few years i read them all and now i just um search for case summaries <laughs> cliff notes, I like that. Cliff notes. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's gross i want to talk about um content planning so one of the things that we'd love to touch on for people out there who are listening who would be like we need to get on these social platforms and we need it, but we also want to make sure that we're putting out, like you said before, putting out things that are a value of people. How do you take in the feedback from the community and then really actively plan that into the content that you're producing? So the best thing for us is our community is very honest with us, which is, you know, sometimes you're like, well, that was super honest, but it's really great because we've kind of got, and it's, been amazing as well for the grocery side of the business so we've, we've got products um through Coles and Woolworths as well and that's another kind of arm of keep it cleaner and what's been amazing for that side of the business compared to what most FMCG companies have no one else has access to a community like we do or, or not many brands do so usually what would happen is you'd launch a product onto the shelves and then um, you have it there's a 12-week process before or period before it can get deleted so if you don't get enough, um, if it doesn't go well, then you take it off the shelves after 12 weeks. It's kind of the testing period. So for most, I suppose, businesses, they'd have to put it on the shelves and then they'd have to wait so long for feedback. And I'm not sure how they'd even get it. You know, you'd have to um, send, well, you can't really, you have to stand on the shelves and ask if people like it or I, I don't even know how you do it. Do a, a survey on Facebook and hope that people have tried your product. But with us, we're so lucky we get instant feedback. Um, you know, the day that a product is, is launched. So that has just been fantastic. So we've been able to um, really adapt. If the community, we launched a baking mixes um, thing, uh, uh, cook, we did cookies and cake um, and pancakes and we launched that and the community didn't like some of the products uh, because we had, a, we, there was an issue right at the end. We couldn't use almond meal because of the price that was set for us and Anyway, so we, we made it with our armor meal and then the community said, this doesn't taste like the recipes do. And so we went straight um, to our retailer the next day and said, we need to put the price up. We need to put the armor meal in. We need to fix this. This is the feedback that we're getting. And they were fantastic. It was Coles. They worked with us um, and we did, we re-entered, I think it was in, within about eight weeks, which is just incredible that we were able to reformulate the whole product and, re and get it on the shelves. But we were only able to do that because we got the instant feedback from our community. So we're constantly taking that on board. And with the, um, in terms of social media, I think 
the most important thing is obviously you have to offer value, but you also have to know who your audience is and what they want to see. So obviously with Keep It Cleaner, we know that our audience is mainly young women uh, that uh, follow Keep It Cleaner for healthy inspiration and just general confidence tips, I suppose. So we, we make sure that all of our content is in line with that. And we, we definitely, we never kind of steer away from that. And I think that's really important for brands to kind of find what their brand is, what their purpose is, what people want from them and ensure that their content doesn't steer away from that um, because otherwise, you know, people will stop following or they won't come back for more because it's mm -hmm. not what they want to see. So that's really important. And I definitely think obviously you can't listen to, you know, if one person says, I don't like your brand color, obviously you don't have to change that, but scrap everything get... on the new yeah. <laughs> colors. Exactly. <laughs> it, is, it is so important to speak to people that use your product because they know, they probably know it better than you. And also when you, uh, especially with kick, because it's an app, we work on the development of it and all the, the, if we have, um, the new screens and things like that, we work on that way before it comes out. So we have stared at it for, you know, maybe six months before the change happens within, um, for the community and on the app store. So we can't tell what's wrong with it because we've just stared at it and we know exactly how it works. But then you have to remember that some people might see it and they might not know how it works or they might not understand why it's in there. And so it's really, really important for us to speak to them um, and suppose, and I suppose to find out how they, um, when they first use it, how they feel, because when you're in the business, it's really hard to look um, from, from in, wait, what is it? The outside, you know, whatever. Perspective. <laughs> yeah, different perspective, yeah. totally. Outside looking in or inside looking yeah, out? What's yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of the same. When you're in it, it's really hard to get that perspective. So it's so important to speak to um, your customers. It, you know, you might not have an online community, but try and grow one. It's, uh, it's so important. It's been amazing for us. It's, it's also an amazing retention strategy for us with the program because um, obviously we'll all be talking about things that are happening on the planner that day and then people are like, oh, I have to come back. So when people are, once they've signed up to keep it cleaner, we don't, we do not kick them out of the community. So they might have unsigned um, up to the program, but that's okay. We, they stay in the community and yeah, we found it to be a really good retention strategy as well. 100%. Like when I look at some stuff at the moment around um, LinkedIn groups, and we're sort of, because we, we put a lot of content out on LinkedIn. Well, Locke, Locke's the king of LinkedIn at the moment. He thinks he is anyway. You need to teach me. <laughs> oh, LinkedIn, honestly, it has been phenomenal. And I think it's like an untapped sort of resource. I think a lot of people now, it's that, like I'm seeing a lot of, um, well, we're talking to people who might be a bit big on Instagram and stuff. And we're talking about LinkedIn and the opportunities there, especially in the corporate world and the mm. people who are looking like, it's not all about the likes. It's not all about, it's about the eyes on it because people mm. work in different companies and competitors and it's not all about the, that. It's just about the impressions and we're learning a lot about it at the moment. And um, yeah, there's not a lot of agencies that understand LinkedIn ads yeah. that much at the moment, but that's going to be booming soon, I think. And yeah, um, for, for example, we asked like, we talked to four or five different agencies around, Hey, we're, we were trying to take a LinkedIn first approach where everything else will come naturally. Like we're going, all right, we're not, we're not trying to pretend like we know how to get big on Instagram or anything like that, but we know we're doing LinkedIn. All right. So we're asking these people and saying, Hey, like we need some help with some paid ads. What do you, what do you, what do you do for LinkedIn? And they, they look at us and they go, nothing. And you go, well, that's odd. And it, was, it mm -hmm. wasn't just like one, it was like four or five different people. And you're thinking this is a platform where for someone, um, I guess in, in our age demographic, there's been a big push. So the next group of people are coming in, they're entering the workforce and the, I guess the baby boomers, the people who are decision makers in the corporate world are moving uh, further to, the, to their twilight mm -hmm. of their career. 
but it's it's ripe for disruption. And we found that when we're talking to people on LinkedIn, it's like you can get access to people that you would never normally be able to talk to because they're, mm. they're happy to respond. It's there. And a lot of the times that have, the difference between, I guess, other platforms is LinkedIn because it's your personal, it's like your CV. People are a bit more, um, they're, they care a little bit more. They're a bit more receptive to actually, hey, I've definitely got control. This is my platform. This is me. And it's been interesting. So if you're definitely looking for some tips, I reckon Locke will help you out because he's the man. Oh, 100%. <laughs> we'll, rock, we'll rock the profile for sure. But like I said, so, yeah, like we were saying, but like um, off here before, is like um, reaching out to you on LinkedIn. Like that, that was like you were just mentioning that you don't really use it that much. And we yeah. feel like we got lucky because the last message, they haven't been online for, for ages. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, we feel very fortunate that you did um, maybe accidentally log on and, and check your check. Your- <laughs> yeah, I check happy. it about probably once every three weeks. I try to yeah. check it, but I know I need to be on there more. But I think it just that comes back to what you were saying before is obviously for Keep It Cleaner, we've got a Keep It Cleaner LinkedIn and we've got an amazing team member, Kat, who is a pro at LinkedIn and she runs our LinkedIn and she has a heart attack when she sees mine. But <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to work on it. But I think for us as that's not where we reach our community. We don't really, we don't reach them on LinkedIn, but there are some businesses that would reach people that would buy their product and engage with their business through LinkedIn. And so it's really important to know your platform and use it. You know, you don't need to be on 10 social media platforms. There's literally 10 you could be on, but you don't need to be on all of them. You just need to be on the ones where you're the people that could engage with your product are actually on. Love that. And that's important. Yeah, because like we don't do YouTube, we don't do that sort of stuff. We just really you should. You could though. do YouTube. We should. Oh, yeah. I'm no good. I'm no good on video. I'm very like talk about imposter syndrome and. You're and, on video now. Yeah, I know, but we no, do. No, that's just, that's that's we don't use them yet. We should use them. We should <laughs> use them. We should use them. We know. We know. Yeah. But it's just timing too. Like this is one of the yeah. things I guess um, with yourself is that you put out so much content. I I think one of the things for us is like trying to do normal day job and then on top trying to put stuff out and you think takes a lot of effort to produce mm. like quality content. Like, you can, like I guess there's the thing of putting things out before it's perfect and done, not perfect. That's fine. But also like quality control. You can't just put out shit. You can't you put know? out yeah, Robbie memes. Robbie memes. Done, oh, done, done and not perfect. But then there's also <laughs> like, I don't know. There's a, there's a, with us, I mean, the ebook wasn't perfect when we launched it, but we would not put a podcast out now that's not to the quality. I suppose once you start to build your audience and, and having a podcast is an amazing way to build a community. I think it's, it's been incredible how many podcasts have built huge communities around their podcast because people really get to know you in the mm-hmm. podcast, which is awesome. But I, I agree. I think there's a, there's a line, obviously you don't want to wait three years to release one episode, but because you want to make it so perfect but you need to keep that quality up, which is why I think if anyone's listening and they want to start a side project or, you know, some type of business on the side while they're still working full time. And I'm sure you, you would talk to this as well, that only do it if you're really passionate about it, because you have to be able to do it out of work hours. And if you don't care about it, you just won't do it. 100%. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You got to like, you got to, you got to, it's fun. You know, you got to do it. If it's a passion that you got to enjoy yeah. it and you got to know that it's, you're taking time out of your day. Well, I've been for us, like even like we've got supported like Tiles and M, our partners are really supportive of what we do, but we understand that there's a pressure too of like we're working and you spend nights doing this or mornings. And it's like, all right, there's a trade off between if we're doing all this extra stuff, we better go out for some dinners and some coffees. huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we need to suck up. We need to make it up. <laughs> How do you balance that though? Because I know your bloke, uh, Dalton, he's the CEO of Bullfrog Media. He's doing some things. Um, how do you balance the relationship and, and all that sort of stuff with your business and your personal life? 
It's so funny with Dalton. So we um, don't, obviously he's got an office and I, we both don't work from home, but now we both work from home during COVID and I hear him on the phone. I'm like, ah, you actually know how to run a business. <laughs> just, <laughs> I mean, I always knew that, that he could and he's so good at what he does, but it's just really funny to hear your partner like working in their natural habitat. Um, but, you know, I think what's really I mean, great for us is that we're both at a stage of our businesses where we're very committed to them and our careers um, and um, giving everything that we can. And when your business is in infancy, it's very important. Um, I suppose there's this kind of a period where you can really grow it or you can kind of just stay where you are. So we're kind of at that, those stages in both of our businesses. So we know that we have to be investing a lot of time into it. And I think something that's really important to remember, and it's something that Jackie Frank always says, it's that you can have it all, but you can't have it all at once. So, you know, it is if, if I had to have a family and, you know, to, to be the CEO of a company and to keep up with all your friendships and to exercise every day, like all of these things, you just, you can't do it all at once. And I think it's really important to come to terms with that and understand that, you know, when you might want to, like, obviously we'll, Dalton and I will have kids um, in, in the near future sometime, but at that time I might have to step away from work a tiny bit um, before I come back again and just being okay with things like that, because it's really important. No one, I, I, I don't know anyone, I've never met one person that can put 100% into work and then also put 100% to their social life and 100% to their family. Like there's sacrifices that, that I've made. I mean, with friendships and, and things like that, I work a lot um, and I often have to sacrifice not being able to go to a friend's birthday or because, you know, we're interstate for something to kick or things like that. There's been a lot of, especially my social life sacrifices I've had to make. And that, I suppose, is a, you kind of just always feel guilty and you just get, you get mm. used to it. Um, but it, it also has helped once, when I heard Jackie say that, it, that has helped a lot because it is, it is true. You, you can't have it all at once. There's only 24 hours in the day. And it's also important to have time for yourself because, you know, there, there is, if you technically use every single hour in your day, you know, to catch up with your friends, to work nine to 10 hours, to you know, exercise. No one can do that. You can't be 100% productive for the full, you know, whatever, 16 hours you're awake. So you need to have time to chill out as well. So yeah, it's just finding that balance, which I don't think there is a balance, but you just have to find no. some way that it works for you. But yeah, something always has to give, unfortunately. What do you say about this? Like, oh, what Jackie said 100% resonated with us when she said the same thing when we talked to her. How did she put it? Like, it was around, um, how do we, re- around trade-offs. Time, yeah, you've, only, you've only got X amount of time in your life yeah. and you have to understand that if you're making decisions like this and commit to different things is that everything comes with a trade-off. If you're going to spend time to do one thing, mm. it means that something at the end of the day, something might miss out. And that's the, that's the life. It's not a work-life balance probably is a myth and it's understanding that you'll probably mm. play from in those trade-off sliders. You got to move the needle, whichever way you feel comfortable, but understanding the impacts that, that those trade-offs actually have. Maybe it's just communication, exactly. communication, just being clear. Yeah. With like, this is, I understand that we need to do all this. And yeah, it's just about being open and honest. And yeah, it definitely, definitely makes sense. Communication, it helps so much. Like with Dulcet and I, if, if he works and we don't, we try not to work past seven, but if we have to, we'll say to each other tonight, I'm going to work until 10 or whatever it might be. But if we don't say that to each other and then someone's on their laptop and I'm like, hang on, you didn't, Delta, this actually happened last night. I'm like, you didn't tell me you were going to be working until 9.30. You should have told me because I would have gone and done something else and not waited for you to finish. So 100% communication actually really helps. I'm watching home and away. Come on, mate. Yeah. <laughs> good show, good show. Uh, you're home and away enough, yeah? My I sister still watches home and away. 
I can't believe yeah, it. Yeah, I haven't watched it since I was um, in high school. But yeah, I did watch it every single night. Yeah. I, was watching, I was watching your 50 fun facts. That's how, that's how I just bought it. Right there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> home and away, huh? Anyway, <laughs> all right. Let's talk about r- routine, like r- routine and and learning. Like you said, like you said, you're so busy, you don't want to work past seven. Like, what does a normal day look like for you? And so I suppose there's not really a normal day, and that's what I don't. I don't set too much of a routine for myself. I have things that I do, but I try not to. I found when I have put pressure on myself, like I need to finish work at six o'clock so I can go for a work walk. This is more in summer when it's still daylight um, and things like that. When I put that type of pressure on myself, I then get very stressed when I can't finish on time, which I very rarely mm. do. And so that, I suppose, makes me stressed. And then I'm getting stressed about something that I've, I've actually um, scheduled in for myself that, you know, shouldn't be a stressful thing. And so what I find, I do need to get up in the morning and do, um, I do my keep a clean workout most mornings. So if I'm not feeling, um, if I'm feeling really exhausted, obviously I'll listen to my body and, and keep sleeping or whatever. But most mornings I start my day with either a run or a kick workout. And that is uh, the best way to start my day. I can't always, sometimes I have super early call times or anything or something like that. But most of the time I can do that. And that's one thing I can, can control. And I know that no matter what happens for the rest of my day, I've done my kick workout, you know, I've set myself up for a really good day. I find when you exercise, like your mind is so more, my mind is so much clearer. I have more energy during the day. So that's really important to me. And so I just, that's kind of the only thing that I, that I do as a routine because the rest of the day could, you know, especially if I leave my workout till nighttime, if I've had a really long, hard a day that hasn't gone the way that, that I have, the whole day I'm going to be thinking, oh, I just, I have to get this done. I have to get this done. But knowing that I've got it done in the morning, then whatever happens, doesn't matter. Um, but that's kind of the only thing that's really in my, in my routine. I love and that. And that's what works for me. You need to be open to, to sort of what's going to happen and things, to, yeah. Things Leave happen. space for things to change. Yeah, too. yeah. And like, and set small sort of, you know what I mean? Like routine for me, it's just, getting up at a certain time, you know, at least I'm on the yeah. right track. Like if, I'm, if I say I'm going to be up at seven, I'm up. That's great. But like you said, listen to your body, sleep in if you need to get some rest, Rob. You know cold what I mean? showers, mate. Cold, cold showers. showers, mate. I swear by cold showers. I, swear I had a cold God. shower this morning. I'll tell you what, I didn't want to. I was in the shower this morning. I was like, oh, I turned it on. I was like, <laughs> it's good it's good yeah, don't you don't know. need a cold shower mate your house is freezing anyway. my house is so cold i'm so cold <laughs> i'm waiting for the sun to come out and warm it up you know <laughs> launching an app that was like obviously we've come to the end we probably should have brought it up and said earlier <laughs> yeah. hey let's Being, loop back around yeah let's loop back around <laughs> that must have been a pretty cool thing because we're like you're saying before all the different things you've got but the community aspect and really being able to nurture them through um something so innovative as having an app to be that home base. What was the experience like for you and um, being involved in that tech world? Yeah. So, I mean, it's still something that uh, Steph and I, I mean, I wish I did. That's another thing I wish I did at university coding because that would have helped a lot with understanding Mm. things. Uh, So there is a lot of trust when it comes to working with our developers because I mean, if, you, we just don't understand the code. So, except it's obviously, there's so many things that you can be involved in with the building of an app, which is fantastic. And before we had the app, we had an online website program. So for us, an app is very expensive. That's one thing that um, anyone that wants to build one or has tried to build one would, would probably understand. It is a very, very expensive exercise. And so for that reason, um, it's important to know that 
the idea that you have or um, the product that you want to sell, you've, you've tested, it is quite risky to go straight on. I mean, some people do it and they kill it and that's amazing, but it's very high risk. For us, we'd already, I suppose, proved that we had a program that mm-hmm. people connected with and really liked on, on the website. So making an app was almost just the next step that we should naturally make because it makes it more convenient for people. And, and that's what the, our app has has been about the whole time. It's just making it more convenient, making our, our workouts more accessible, making the recipes easier to use. And uh, user experience is so important with an app. Even some, some things like when you sign up, if there's too many stages that you ha- that someone has to go through, um, they won't keep going because they'll get they'll get annoyed. So it's really important every single process. So the onboarding process has to be perfect. Otherwise, people it can make a huge difference. It, it can increase the the people that convert to actual subscribers by by a very large amount just by you know getting rid of one or two screens. So it's really really important to make sure the onboarding process is really great. And then within the app, the user experience is is great and it comes back to what we were talking about before you know we know how the app works like the you know i could do it with my eyes closed but for someone new they might come onto it and think oh this doesn't make sense so it's really important to understand from your customer or for us our community's point of view um how they use the app and why they want to use it that's really important what what your what problem you're solving i think that is the most important thing with a business what is your why why will people use your product why do they need it because for us there's probably twenty thousand fitness apps on the app store quite literally or some type of you know through social media so it's so important to to make sure you know that why why would people use your product and and for us why would people access our app instead of all the other apps on on offer on the app store and so you need to be so clear with that because I found that sometimes you go through stages where you might see your competitors doing things and you think why why shouldn't we we should be doing that but if you just base your business on just um, I suppose not cop like seeing what someone does and doing the same thing you're already two steps behind because they've already evolved somewhere else and you're just you know, catching up to what you think that you should be doing. It's just so important to make sure you stay in your own lane and you find like what makes your product different and you stick to that because it's really dangerous when you get caught up in, I suppose, trying to be like, it. I mean, it's exactly the Can't same like, in real life. Exactly. And also like you, you don't want to, there's so much comparison as being, as being a human, I suppose. You always compare yourself to others and it's exactly the same um, in a business sense. You just need to make sure you know what your why is and especially with an app, why people go on your app instead of other apps because it is so competitive. And as I said, it's a very expensive exercise. So you have to really make sure um, you know all of those things before you get into it. UX, UX designers and UX people are worth their weight in gold, 100%. Yes, they are, absolutely. <laughs> so, so just quickly before we let you go, what, what's planned for the rest of the year? Oh, well, we actually have got, um, unfortunately, I feel I hate doing this, but we have got something really big that we've been working on um, for the part, or since the start of the year, actually, that um, should be coming out very uh, soon, hopefully, if all goes to plan. So it's to do with Keeper Cleaner. So that's very, very exciting. So that, that's kind of what the plans are for the rest of the year. And then finishing my uni degree, that will be awesome as well. And I'm, I'm getting, hopefully, I don't know because of COVID, something could happen, but I'm meant to be getting married in December. So that's exciting. Ooh, congratulations. Oh, congrats. Yeah, Fingers crossed there's no <laughs> lockdown. Yes, yeah. I know. Anyway, it's all right. Not the end of the world if, if it does get put off. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's exciting. I, I booked it in. That is exciting. Big dots down on one knee. How good's that? <laughs> happy days happy days well yeah we really appreciate you coming on you've touched on so many good points i'm sure uh all our listeners are super pumped to 
to hear to hear um, your stories and experiences and some of your tips and advice because yeah, like like we're super appreciative and and yeah, like I said before, you've touched on some really great points in there. Yeah. It's been great to meet you too. Yeah, yeah. Thank been- you, you too. Really, really nice. Thank you for having me on. All right, so we're just going to do a quick little evidence of proof, grab a screenshot, and then we'll let you go. Oh, you take a screenshot. We take a screenshot. take a photo of the thing. Okay, I'll smile. Oh, you take a photo of the lock. (laughs) Coke Zero. Coke Zero. Hold on two seconds. I stuffed it up. That's why Lock doesn't let me do anything with it. Yeah, well, you can see why now. It's proof. (laughs) Does that work? (laughs) Yeah, we got it working. Awesome. All right. How good was that? Don't forget, if you like what you're hearing, tell a friend, share it on Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever. Uh, make sure you get your learnings in. Robbie's on my back. Um, and we always like to know what you're learning and what you, know, what you want to hear next. So yeah, do that. Help me out, please.